As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. This podcast is brought to you in part by Creative Live. Creative Live is an online learning platform featuring classes taught by industry leaders such as Nir Ayal and Alex Bloomberg. Go to creativelive.com forward slash rocketship and find some of our favorite classes, buy them and get 30% off. Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. I'm Michael Saka. And I'm Joelle Goldman. Today we talked with Adam Saint, the co-founder and VP of design at Bench. Michael, what'd you think of this one? This is great. Um, a lot of really good customer development, jobs to be done talk in this. Um, and, and kind of the process that he goes through to continually improve and understand the software that, uh, that he's designing and who he's designing it for. So... Um, what'd you think? 
Yeah, I, I enjoyed this one a lot because he kind of stepped back from what most people think of as design, which is graphics, um, and really thought about it more as a system and how the entire thing functions and what it does for you as as a customer and as a person. And I really like looking through it, looking at it through that lens. Um, so yeah, let's get into it. Earth Class Mail moves your snail mail into the cloud, giving you instant access 24-7 and integrates with tools and services you use every day. It's crazy that we've moved everything we do for business over to the digital world, but still need to pick up, sort, and manage physical mail. With Earth Class Mail, you can get all of your mail scanned and accessible online 24-7. You can search for your mail, send invoices over to your accounting software, sync important documents into cloud storage, deposit checks instantly, and really make running your business as a whole a lot easier. You'll also get a real professional address to share publicly with customers, business partners, and investors. Go to earthclassmail forward slash rocket ship and get your first two months of the starter package absolutely free. So Adam, um, welcome. Thanks so much for coming on today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, and tell us, so I mean, tell us quickly about Bench and then also your role at Bench. Um, so Bench is a service that provides a team of professionals to do your bookkeeping every single month so that at the end of the year you're ready to file your taxes. Um, my role is sort of kind of multifaceted. Uh, it's, it's around designing user experience and I get involved with how we make our software, like the software that our clients use to consume the product we produce for them. I get involved with our service. So, you know, how, how the team of pros actually delivers the customer service to our customers, um, as well as the sort of the maintenance and, and cultivation of our brand. So our website and logo and, uh, you know, all the materials that we use to communicate what Bench does out into the world. So, um, you know, kind of before we, we hit record, we were talking about design. And I'd love if you would define design for us as you see it. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> there's a couple ways of looking at it. Uh, usually when people hear the word design, they think graphics or something like that. But design is super broad. It's it's basically the intentional organization of any kind of a system. So that could be a business, that could be a building, uh, that could be a piece of software, what, whatever it is. Um, and the second part to that <clears throat> excuse me, is that it's a means for connecting two systems or more than one system together. Uh, so a really concrete example of that is like you have a human being and you have a car, uh, two really powerful systems, but they're usually incompatible. Uh, that human being wants to be able to use the car. They want the capabilities of the horsepower and to be able to get places really fast. Uh, so you need to design the bridge between those two things. And it's, it's just as simple as like a dashboard and pedals and a steering wheel and that sort of thing. Um, but that, in my opinion anyways, that's the essence of design. So how do you, um, kind of talking about user-centered design and, and building things that are useful for the end user, um, do you have a process that you take um, when approaching a new project? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, the process really, there's, there's a few different steps, but for me, the crux of it, like absolutely um, the most important aspect of the whole process is discovery. And that discovery is really, really trying to get inside the heads of the people who are going to be using what you're making. Um, it's just so important to understand their true needs. Not, not in the sense of focus groups and things like that. You usually get pretty superficial answers from, 
from a session like that. But if, if you go further and you try to read between the lines and really unpack what it is that people need, um, the rest of the work, the sort of the designing interfaces and, and, um, you know, engineering the product is by no means easy, but, uh, everything falls into place, uh, much better when you've actually done your, done your due diligence and discovery. So how do you, um, how do you generally recommend doing that? Is it cold emailing people and getting their opinion, asking friends? What does it look like on, for you? We, we're totally, for us, we're just guerrilla about it. We use all the techniques that we're able to. We go to every single source that we're able to, uh, current clients, um, you know, people off the street people internally who interact with customers all the time. Um, anywhere where we can kind of like dredge up the, the truth of the matter, we'll go there and we'll try and get that information and try and discover really what it is that our customers want. Um, and it seems like w- when you say it that way, it's really self-evident um, to the point of being obvious. But it's funny how often companies don't do that. You know, they they focus on, they're very internally focused um, and that's kind of like the nature of, of classical business is to be obsessed with process and to be obsessed with uh, org charts and all these other things. Those are really powerful tools too. But I think the differentiator for design is to put the, the customer themselves right smack in the middle of that process. So how do you get uh, not only yourself, but um, the people that you work with to kind of step back and think about things from that perspective? Oh man, there's, there's so many ways. It's, it's really, this is kind of like, (laughs) it's a little bit cheesy to say, but ultimately it boils down to storytelling. Um, you need people to step back from their acronyms and their process and, and all the, all these powerful tools that they use to create, create efficiency and to, to tease out order from chaos and get them to just think in terms of stories and narratives and what the, the customer themselves are going to be experiencing, you know, because they don't think in, in those terms. They don't think about people's job titles or roles or the, or the sort of functions that the company plays. They just have this complete aggregate perception of one company, you know, in our case, it's bench and they need to be guided through that in a way that actually makes sense to them. So it's, it's really, it's a matter of telling stories in various different ways. And until you see that, that light come up in the person's eyes and they're like, Oh, wait a second. These are, this is a whole bunch of real human beings. And they just have like, they have anxieties and desires and all these motivations. And we can actually appeal directly to that and and speak to it. How often do you go through the process of, uh, signing up and onboarding and getting started with Bench as if you were a brand new user? Pretty is that, often. Is that um, something that's part of your process? Yeah, I, I crawl all over our stuff all the time. So signing up with new accounts, uh, trying to, to use the, you know, the application um, to do various things because I'm just... I'm obsessed with finding the sort of the nooks and crannies and the, the the various areas that kind of like collect dust in a project like this and, and rooting that out and cleaning it up. Um, I also, uh, you know, the design team at Bench is so incredible at this stuff. They, they really, um, they get right inside the, the sort of process of using the app and, and talk to customers about their experiences with it. And I think that's a really powerful way of doing it too, because obviously I've, I've spent so much time, making this thing that I see it in a completely different way. Like there's just no way that I can perceive what we've built the same way that a customer can. So uh, we, we try to try to put ourselves in their shoes with like a, a beginner's mind, so to speak. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices, construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or 
invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. What kind of questions are you asking in those? Is there, um, I mean, is, is there a template that you start from? Um, what does it look there, like? <clears throat> there are templates that you can use. Um, and I, I myself don't do the heavy lifting on these interviews anymore. I used to do more customer interviews, and now I, we have just an incredible team of folks doing research on this stuff. But uh, if they'll permit me to sort of summarize what they do, they, they just try to ask very general, open-ended questions that will lead the customers into speaking about themselves in a, in a very broad and far-ranging way, rather than asking a leading question such as, um, you know, if we had feature X, would you like that? Yes or no? That doesn't really get you anything. You know, people will just kind of say, yeah, sure, give me that. Um, but if you ask them how they feel about things or like what, uh, what the impression of our website is on them and you just let them kind of speak emotionally without having to make a particular point or argument, uh, they open up so much that they start to reveal all kinds of aspects of their personality. And, and if you do a good job kind of listening and noting all that stuff down, um, you get so much insight from those conversations. And what are you, are, what are the key things that you're listening for? Is it pain points with bench or pain points outside of bench or kind of general frustrations that maybe they're not telling you? Is there something I, in particular? I, I would say all of those things. Um, the pain points for sure, but there, there are certain... Uh, an interesting way of looking at it that I've been taught before is to think more like a police investigator. So you're not... Obviously, you want to find the facts, but you just kind of... You create the sandbox for the person to say anything. And if you have faith that once they talk through enough of their sort of anxieties and concerns and pain points, uh, a pattern will start to emerge and you can piece that together yourself. So you're looking for all that stuff and you're trying actually not to be too presumptuous up front because obviously, uh, you know, we're all people, we come into this with an agenda. And we, when we start doing this research and asking these questions, we probably have some sort of end in mind already, mm-hmm. but we have to do our best to step away from that and just to really just listen to people. It's, it's very challenging to do that and to try and pick up on patterns that emerge naturally. Uh, Cause oftentimes people just don't know specifically what's bothering them or they, they have, you know, that it was 12 things that were actually bothering them, but because of, you know, psychological effects, they remember the most painful one or just the last thing in the sequence. So they'll quote that one thing, but you don't have access to the other 11 things unless you're really listening. Um, Oh, go on. I was just going to say if, if, um, anybody listening is interested, there's, there's a whole body of work that like, this was, you know, we're kind of standing on the shoulders of giants with this stuff. But uh, Clay Christensen, who wrote The Innovator's Dilemma, he came up with this framework called Jobs to be Done. Um, and it was originally a marketing framework. But <clears throat> it is like if you're looking for templates for interviews, they provide a template. And the whole idea behind Jobs to be Done is trying to get right down to the core, like the root of why someone buys a product. And it's usually not, you know, someone doesn't wake up in the morning and say, uh, I am going to go out and buy a, a memory foam mattress today. They They think things like, I'm really stressed out at work. I wish I were more restful. And then they end up, they end up buying a mattress in the end, but they didn't 
like they don't, they're not a rational actor in an economic system. You know, they just have these kind of these intuitive emotions that swirl around and they, they try to respond to them and buy products that they think are going to assuage those issues. It's very interesting. Um, yeah. And yeah, we love the the jobs to be done framework is is amazing and well worth the research. Um, I'm I'm curious, when do you know to kind of take action? You know, as a as a designer um, working on a product, when do you know that you've answered kind of the question, or you have an action to take to make a change? Oh man, that's so tough. Uh, <laughs> like, there's such a tension with this stuff. And it's it's uh, quite beautiful at our company because we're we're very data driven um, and uh, operationally centered, but also uh, have a very strong design sense and a strong intuition too. Um, and we try and balance those two things. So, like for my, for myself, I will almost always want to lead with the intuition or, or the vision. Where I've I've spoken to enough people, I've pieced together this pattern, and I, I just know, you know, I'm like this this is the thing that we have to make, and people are absolutely going to love it. Uh, but then obviously you have to strengthen that case with with data and with, with sort of further research to make sure that you're not going down some rabbit hole. Um, but I, I think probably for the majority of of my team at least, uh, they're very intuitively driven. Um, it's not to say that we don't like evidence. We love evidence, but that evidence usually comes in a really qualitative form. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's very intuition driven, but then we try and vet all of those things after the fact with, um, you know, with some rigor. So going back to what you said about design really being the entire system of how something functions or how systems function together, a company like Bench, you have kind of two pieces, you have the software and you have the service. So how do you bring together the work that you're doing on the design side for the software portion and bring that experience over to the service side so that it's kind of seamless for your customers? Oh man, such a good question. <laughs> it's, it's a colossal challenge. Um, it's, it's an amazing sort of project to work on though, because there just aren't, there isn't a lot of precedence for this kind of stuff. Um, Thankfully, I have some team members who who have a background in in service design, uh, and they're able to sort of bring to bear a lot of the the sort of knowledge and frameworks that they have to organize all of these things. But it, it's a huge effort uh, to to mesh those two systems um, because they're completely dependent on each other. You know, like w- without without our software interfaces and and these apps, uh, it's just a bunch of bookkeepers sitting in a room, and you know that's that's really great, but it's basically brick and mortar. Uh, and, you know, without that team of extraordinary people doing all of that work and providing help and customer service, uh, it's just, we, we just have a pile of interfaces that don't really do anything. It's not a tool, you know? So meshing those things properly and effectively um, is an extraordinary challenge and something we think about all the time. And we haven't solved it yet. You know, we're making great strides. Um, I forget the exact amount of time that we've been on the market now publicly, uh, but we're just kind of going through a revision to, I, I like to think of it as like the second version of bench and we're starting to get so much better at augmenting, um, augmenting the experience with both human humans and, and software together in a sort of seamless mesh. So do you sit down with, um, you know, the leader of the service team and have these conversations? Cause I'm, I'm curious what that conversation would even look like where you're trying to bring these things together. Yeah, I mean, um, there are many conversations. I try to actually speak to people from every single department in our company because um, they're all so incredibly intelligent and insightful. And, you know, you don't need training to be 
uh, a designer or a creative person. Um, and these, these people, you know, like salespeople or operations people, they deal with our customers all the time and they have this incredible, they have this incredible intuition themselves about what's right and what's wrong and what we should do. Uh, so it's really a matter of trying to, trying to dig in and not, not prescribe solutions, not just kind of like collect data from sales and, and make a software change based on that, but like really get in there and understand what, what mind meld with them and, and know what they know about our customers and make those decisions together at the best of times. It doesn't always happen that way. And, you know, sometimes just like any other company, we're a little bit siloed and, and whatever else. But in our ideal state, we have that perfect collaboration where it's not really about departments anymore. We have this vision or this outcome and we're all kind of supplying our own information and skill into the, into the equation. And the results are pretty, pretty incredible. That's awesome. That's really cool. Um, is there something specific that you're working on right now that you're kind of struggling through that you can share? Really, it is. It's this kind of becoming version two of Bench that is a huge challenge um, because, you know, go, kind of reinventing yourself like that flies in the face of all you know, like lean methodologies and all that thinking, you know, you're supposed to like incrementally improve and, and step by step, uh, scope every problem down and, and sort of tweak it until it's right. But, and we, and we do do that. And that's kind of our MO usually, but at a certain point when, when you see the next iteration of yourself come in, come into sort of a clear picture and you know, you need to make that leap, uh, making that leap can be pretty painful. It's, it's a struggle, right? Because you just like across the board, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to deliver service. This is the kind of product that we're going to ship. Uh, and then you end up like rewriting all your software and trying to train people on all these different methodologies. And it's, there's so many moving parts, um, that, that it can descend into chaos or at least, um, it's a tremendous amount of change, which is a struggle for anybody, right? Especially if you have, you know, like we're successful and humming along now and, um, you know, we provide uh, real value to our customers and they love us. So like, what's the impetus to change all of that? Um, I think all of us collectively, we can see uh, many more improvements in what the next iteration of our company is going to look like, but to orchestrate all of that together is, is a huge challenge. Yeah, totally. And I, I mean, I can see like, you know, if you have this vision in your head of where you want it to be and then trying to get each piece aligned to achieve that, um, that that's huge. It's it's crazy, and so many different people from different backgrounds and mindsets and everything. And I think that we have a genuinely open minded, lovely, collaborative company. Um, but and like when you introduce that much change into a system, there's just going to be struggle and resistance and and sort of damage done. Uh, so it's it's a very worthwhile struggle, but it's an immense challenge. How do you measure the success of bringing a system like that live? That's a, that's a very good question. We're, we're asking ourselves that right now. Um, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm totally willing to say, honestly, that I don't know. Like we, we focus on satisfaction metrics like NPS and we do qualitative inter- interviews and we do all this stuff. But at a certain point, you just have to have a vision of the future and you have to say, you know, our customers love this, but wait until they see this next thing. Like they, we've, we've validated ourselves up to this point. Now let's take a leap and go into this, this next thing. And, and I guess the, the success is measured by the magnitude of the response from our customers. I, I don't really have an answer other than that, but, um, you know, I'd, I'd like to see word of mouth go up even more and have people sort of like, I don't know, it's, it's, again, it's super, super cheesy, but 
uh, you know, we don't have a mobile app yet, much to our chagrin, but uh, I would love to be sitting in a restaurant or a coffee shop somewhere and have someone just demo using our service, like, you know, messaging a bookkeeper or something like that as they, as they sit beside their sort of colleague, just to show them how cool it is to show them that like, look, this is actually professional services. Now it's not just for bookkeeping and whatever else, like this is how we're going to deal with lawyers and all these other people in the next 10 years. It'll just be like texting a friend. Um, so that, you know, you know, a moment like that, I want, I want that. That is, yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's really cool. Um, so yeah, um, thank you so much for coming on. Um, where can we keep up with you and Bench online? Um, if you're interested in reading my retweets of other people's accounts, you can go to <laughs> at, at Adam J Saint on Twitter. Uh, you can obviously you can find Bench at uh, Bench.co. Um, you can check out our Twitter account at, at Bench. Uh, and we have a truly incredible, lovely Instagram uh, at Bench Accounting, where we're trying to capture some of the sort of the essence and the beauty of the entrepreneurial life. Very cool. Yeah, no, it is. It's a great feed. Um, yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks, Adam. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rocket Ship Podcast. If you enjoyed it, we have tons of other awesome episodes on our website. Check them out, rocketship.fm. And while you're there, make sure you sign up for our newsletter. We're twice monthly. We send out actionable advice for entrepreneurs and exclusive links to AMAs with our guests. That's rocketship.fm. Sign up today.